happy uh, day before the 4th of July. It is me, your managing editor of Wrestling Nick, Nick Hausman, back here for another episode of The Winkly, and joined here as I am almost every Wednesday by our good friend Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back from vacation. I am tan and ready to talk wrestling again. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, you were, uh, you went to, to see the, what, Disneyland, Disney World, something like that? I was in uh, Disney World. Yes, actually, you and I were in the Orlando airport on the same day. Just missed each other by hours. Oh, man. Well, I, I hope you had a better experience getting out of Orlando than I did because uh, that's the last time I'm ever flying Spirit Airlines again. Yeah, you don't want to fly Spirit. They charge, I mean, they, 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 they charge you for oxygen, I think. They charge you for everything. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to dwell on it, but they did cancel my flight 20 minutes before boarding, made me leave the terminal to go to the front desk, and told me they couldn't get me another flight until Tuesday. Tuesday, 48 hours later. So after some uh, very stern talking with the manager, somehow I managed to get the last flight out of Dodge. But ugh, what a nightmare, Justin. Did you tell them that you have, that you host a very successful podcast and that you will make sure the entire wrestling world does not like them? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I said, I said, exact, I said, I'm a very bad. I went full Tony Clifton. I was like, I'm a very important man here. What are you doing? You know who I am? You're going to talk to me like that? I sold out more shows in Vegas than you'll ever sell out in your whole life. It was something like that. It was, it was, it, you know, around there is kind of what I did to them. So, so you, so you basically pulled the line that the the jackass that was harassing John Cena did. You know, I'm famous. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much, same thing, same thing. Uh, well, we got a big show here planned for you today. Uh, we got two big interviews. Of course, New Japan Pro Wrestling presenting their G1 show uh, this Saturday from Dallas. It's going to be live and free on Access TV. Of course, we'll have coverage of that here on the site, uh, Wrestling Inc. But uh, on that show, we're gonna have we're gonna have here on the show today an interview with Lance Archer after the news, who uh, his partner uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. no longer with New Japan Pro Wrestling, looking at a name, uh, making a name for himself here is a singles competitor again in the G1. Also, our good friend Scott Fishman had a chance to catch up with Kevin. Kelly, one of the commentators uh, for New Japan. So Kevin Kelly, Lance Archer, they are both going to be here later on in the show. But it is going to be a busy weekend. It is always a busy weekend for pro wrestling pretty much anymore because not only are you going to have New Japan's G1 Dallas show, the coverage for that this Saturday on the site, I will also be on site here in Chicago, Cicero Stadium at MLW's Kings of Coliseum event this Saturday night. Uh, And we also, on top of all of that, have live coverage of Impact Slammiversary pay-per-view this Sunday night as well. Three pro, you know, we have, let's see, it's New Japan, MLW, Impact, Ring of Honor, WWE, and AEW. That's that's like six major promotions where we cover all their shows now. Every weekend, it's not just, is there a pay-per-view? It's how many pay-per-views are going on this weekend. Earn your paycheck, Nicholas. Earn your paycheck. Never stop working. All right, let's get to it here. News you can use. News that'll leave a bruise. And uh, you know what? Nope, not not a lot of bruising here. Uh, pretty good news here for WWE, actually. Raw drew an average of 2.496 million viewers. That's up 10% from last week's 2.275. That was, of course, the post-Stomping Grounds episode. This is the best number for the show since May 20th. It is the second best audience for the show since the Superstar Shakeup in April. The first hour drew 2.468 million. The next second hour, 2.676 million. And the last hour, 2.345. That is only a drop of 5% from the first to the third hour. Very good news here, Justin. Uh, I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to attribute it to. But tell me, what do you what do you take from these numbers? Well, they are exactly what I would hope and thought they would be. You know, the first hour had a had a very frantic, must see, 
a fresh pace uh, going, you know, and they that you know really occupied the full hour, and that momentum carried into the second. The second hour, you got the Undertaker, um, and then you know the third hour. Look, it's natural with people's attention spans. I mean that that people the things drop off, um, you know, engagement drops off. I mean that's just that's just the nature of anything. You know, whether it's a YouTube video or, or even watching a three-hour weekly show. Also, the th- third hour, you know, they didn't they didn't have. I mean, you know, you know, what were they building to? You know, they're building to you know an AJ Styles match. Um, you know, that we had, that we had you know seen before. So you know, it wasn't you know it wasn't like they were building to you know some really big climactic ending that we. I mean, it ended up being a it ended up being a satisfying ending to wrestling fans, but it wasn't necessarily something that's going to keep that mainstream uh, draw in or, or or the more casual fans. But yeah, overall, this these are good numbers. It's a good sign. Um, I, yeah, I don't care who you want to credit individually. The, it was it was just a good it was a good Monday Night Raw, you know. And then then you know watching SmackDown, and I did the SmackDown post review as I'm now doing again on Tuesday nights with uh, with with Glenn and Matt Morgan. Uh, I mean, God, the SmackDown was painful to watch compared to what we got on Monday night. Yeah, it was uh, it it was very slow. Uh, SmackDown was last night, and I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I I was watching that opening segment there on Monday Night Raw, the big spot with Braun. And Lashley, all the explosions, uh, the, the the profanities, the long steady shot. And I was like, this is different. And it, it got the exact reaction I thought, which was people got on their phones, got on their Twitter, said, this is going on right now. I, I, I praised it right after the fact. I certainly got a couple tweets from fans saying, I haven't checked it out in a while. I'm going to tune in right now. And that's where that effect comes from. There's that bump there from first to second hour, which uh, is, is pretty significant in my opinion. And when you look at the final hour there, you only lost about 100,000 people from the top of the show to the end. So a lot of things went right here. I think that bodes really well um, because it's hard. You can only make a good, you can only make a, a first impression once. And uh, with Vince McMahon, it does seem to be sink or swim a lot of the times. If he sees something work, he'll, will, he'll be willing to give it a chance. If he sees something that's not working, I think we've seen him cut bait and move on from a lot of other stuff. So the fact that Paul Heyman's influence here seems to have worked, I think that's a pretty good sign. Wouldn't you say, Justin? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right about that with Vince is that, you know, he, you know, he's going to go, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to look at the data. So, um, you know, if if Paul Heyman said this is going to be great and, you know, the, and then Twitter and the, in in the, you know, very noisy internet wrestling community thought it was great, but the numbers don't support it, you know, you know, then, then that doesn't mean anything to Vince, but the fact that the numbers come in and support that this was, uh, a unique and exciting way and you know yeah a little edgy with Corey graves comments and you know this was this was a success you know uh paul Heyman's going to get uh, uh, a, another volley as bruce pritchard would constantly uh, imitate him and say so there yes we go. yes uh well on that note let's talk a little bit about paul and his influence on monday night raw there was a lot of speculation going into the night that you know Heyman, how much how much influence would Heyman really be allowed to be given on this show? Well, the Observer is reporting uh, that uh, Paul Heyman's fingerprints are were all over Monday Night Raw. Most of the material on the show ran through him. Uh, however, it was Vince and uh, Red Brand head writer Ed Kosky uh, who were the main ones discussing the show at the big production meeting for this week's Raw, not Heyman. So Heyman's ideas, but Vince and Ed. Uh, filtering that to the production team there. It was noted that this week's Raw was not 100% Heyman's show, but it was a very heavy Paul Heyman episode, essentially his first night as the new executive director of the Red Brand. Uh, PW Insider adding that uh, Heyman sat with Vince and Gorilla most of the show. The Observer then going on to say Corey Graves, his holy shit line was scripted in an attempt to make the show edgier. Uh, The overhead steady shot backstage after the Braun Lashley spot was done to make it feel like it wasn't part of the show so a lot of stuff that you know i thought was 
uh, we, we'd kind of interpreted on the surface level there. I didn't, I mean, they got the seven second delay. They didn't use it. So obviously the Corey Graves line was scripted. I mean, how, but I mean, when you do things like this, how long can you continue to call it a TV PG product? Justin, I feel like they're walking a, a pretty fine line here with stuff like this. Well, I mean, yeah, they can't, they certainly can't, um, you know, I mean, they can't have Corey Graves doing that every week that I'm sure that will, I'm sure their sponsors and such will, will take notice of that. But, you know, uh, but in this, but there's other ways to be edgy. It doesn't always have to be a curse word. I mean, and as we'll talk about, you know, you have a, you had a, what kind of felt like an attitude era segment with, with Maria screaming, I'm pregnant and then, and then completely berating her, her husband. I mean, so, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be curse words. That was an appropriate court, a, a holy shit. When you just saw one of the biggest, stunt explosions that WWE has produced in recent time and it's right off the top I mean you know the commentators you know I mean the match had, you know the match quote unquote had been going on for less than five minutes so you know it, it was right off the top so it, that was appropriate yeah you can't do that every single week um, but I you know, again I thought it was appropriate it fit in the context uh, and again it just it was really well done and uh, and yeah so as we said Paul Heyman heavily involved in it. I got to think uh, that's not, you know, the way this went, that that proves good for what he's going to try to serve up for next week and moving forward. Well, and even last night on SmackDown, like, uh, you know, we were talking about, it, it, it wasn't the most gripping of SmackDowns. It does sound like uh, it was still very much Vince and uh, uh, and the other writers still in charge of SmackDown last night. Maybe that's why it was so jarring, which is also good, too, because I think we're going to get these SmackDown numbers back, and I don't think that they're going to be anywhere near uh, what Raw did, and I don't know how it's going to compare to weeks before. But, you know, again, you know, let's start to lean on, on Paul here a little bit more. I mean, there was certainly a moment on the show I thought felt uh, like what we saw on Raw, and that was when Kofi Kingston gave Samoa Joe the middle finger after Joe made a comment about him and his, his family and his kids. Uh, I was very surprised by this. I didn't hate it. I liked it. I mean, I'm, I'm all for this kind of fire and stuff. But, again, you're taking your guy and Kofi Kingston, who is uh, one of your biggest draws for kids and families right now, and, and you're having him throw the finger out there. I mean, what, what do you make of that? Well, it was uh, it was nice to see a different side of Kofi Kingston. You know, sometimes one of the knocks on him have been now that he's the champion, now that he's the the he's now the the hunted, not the hunter. You know that he is still a little bit too you know that you know that we need to see that <clears throat> that that serious gear kick in. So that was nice. You know what I wonder, and I, this is a whole other this is maybe a larger conversation, is while WWE is still, as far as we know, remaining PG, and that's what that's what they sell to their advertisers. With them moving to Fox and them getting the amount of money they're getting from Fox, I, I don't know, it, or maybe they are going to be able to, because Fox, Fox is a company anyways, is always known to be a little bit edgier with their content right. um, in their presentation. That's with anything, whether it's sports, whether it's comedy, anything. That's just that, that that's just that's that's been their mo for for decades. So I wonder if Fox will want them to be. While we hear that Fox wants them to be a little more sport oriented, I will wonder if Fox will want them to be a little more. You know, you know, geared a little bit more toward an adult audience, and and if and if WWE could can isolate their SmackDown show and let it be a little bit uh, edgier, uh, and if they don't have as much individual sponsorship going into the that particular programming, maybe that's okay because again they're getting you know a billion dollars over the next five years from Fox. So you know who knows? I I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if that works. I don't know if I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if their advertisers necessarily cross both shows or if they're if they're isolated to just Raw and SmackDown. I'm not sure, but just something to keep in mind. And I thought about when I saw the middle finger spot was you know they're getting ready to move to a new network, and, and that new network is is again known for edgier content in general. Uh- you know, we were talking about Paul Heyman's influence here. You know, we have, I guess, Eric, you know, the reports say he's not going to be taking over in a similar role on SmackDown 
uh, until I guess next week. You weren't here, or, or the weekend, uh, the week after Extreme Rules. So I guess that'd be two weeks from now. You weren't here last week when we were d- diving into all of this. What are your expectations for Eric in this role? Not the same that I have for Paul Heyman, especially off the bat. We have to remember Paul Heyman. It's very easy for Paul Heyman just to slide into that gorilla position and start, um, you know, having his fingerprints all over the show. Paul's been involved with WWE programming for the last however many years, whether, you know, managing Brock Lesnar, you know, working with CM Punk. I mean, so like, A, Paul's there. B, Paul has also been, you know, he works with talents individually, you know, behind the scenes kind of, you know, quietly as we've come to learn. So like Paul's very familiar, like he's already involved. He's already in the mix. You know, Eric, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I'm sure Eric's probably having to do some some homework to catch up of who he has to work with. And, yes. you know, OK, who all is on the roster? Where, you know, what has been the themes? Who, you know, who is who has been in the championship picture? You know, I, I don't think he's probably watching minute by minute every week um, for these past few years. So I'm not expecting Eric to come in and and, and make a, 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 an immediate abrupt impact. I also wonder, you know, what, you know. I think where Paul's, you know, where Paul's influence is to come in here, we need to get our flagship show in Monday Night Raw's numbers up. You know, USA's, you know, upset, you know, about numbers and such. I think Eric's probably a little bit more in the long term of, okay, this is moving to Fox. Eric has familiarity working with TV executive suits who are new to the pro wrestling game. So I, I think Eric's is a little bit more long-term strategic, um, whereas Paul's a little bit more crash. Hey, Paul, let's get this let's let's, let's get this bump going here back on on our Monday Night Flagship show. I, I just wonder what happens when Paul's creativity uh, over outshines uh, Eric's, and I don't know that that's going to happen. But I mean, you make I mean, there's a lot of points you bring up there where it's just like he's a he's he's a good fit right now for a reason. I mean, there are things to be said about Eric's ability to work. Uh, in a boardroom, talk to executives, that sort of thing. Maybe that is where his strength is. But I do, you know, we had that report out uh, from the Observer the other day where they said Fox wanted to be working with Paul Heyman. They didn't want the other guy, right? And so I, I do wonder how long it takes uh, or when the levy breaks and Paul uh, doesn't start to have influence on both shows. I, I just, I just, I, I, my, my prediction is that's the logical conclusion to what's going on here. And and uh, I'll, I'll be, uh, uh, I'll wait and see, of course, like everybody else. But that's just kind of the direction I feel like this is going to move. Well, and at, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, none of this matters if Vince does not truly let them be empowered and truly let them, you know, that's the thing, you know, it, this, you know, and it seemed like this past Monday, okay, apparently it seemed Vince obviously, again, allowed, allowed Heyman to have, you know, significant credible input to alter the show the way he did. And obviously the numbers speak to such, but, it, you know, but at the, at the long term, I thought that was one, that was one episode. In the long term of this, this doesn't matter. Paul Heyman's creativity doesn't matter. Eric Bischoff's strengths that he might bring, none of it matters if, if at the end of the day, Vince doesn't, um, doesn't, you know, you know, if, if Vince is vetoing things, um, which we've heard in the past has been a frustration of, of creative people. If, if Vince is vetoing things and, and still going with his way, it, none of this matters, you know. So we'll see. Uh, Shelton Benjamin, speaking of creative, it looks like they're doing something a little bit different here uh, with uh, the gold standard, Shelton Benjamin. Uh, he was asked. Uh, who's gonna who's gonna win between Samoa Joe and Kofi Kingston? At Extreme Rules. Uh, then there's just 30 seconds of him just like looking around, right? Just like his eyes are darting around, and then he just he gets like a big smile, and then he and he walks away. And the announcers note that maybe he has other things on his mind. Uh, what do you think of this? Where the where do you think they're going with this? I have no clue. <laughs> All I thought was. That was really random. <laughs> maybe they have, maybe they have some idea of something they're going to do with Shelton Benjamin. And, and then he popped in my head as he's another one who I'm waiting to hear the report that he has a five-year deal. 
I think so too. Uh, I got I, I thought I thought the same thing. <laughs> and I and I wonder if he you know I I think Joe is just the next boss in the video game here for Kofi. I mean. Could could Shelton be another one? I mean, I, don't, I get the vibe they're going to have Kofi pick up a couple wins here. Uh, if they were going to make it a shorter run, I think they'd have taken him off him. I think they like him in this role here. Um, it, you know, it, it, are they setting the the groundwork here to to put Shelton versus Kofi? Maybe. I, I mean, yeah, and I agree. If if they were gonna if they were gonna do a short run, it would have been off of Kofi by now. I, I think. Yeah, I think I think Joe was just another opponent to get Kofi uh, another win. Kofi actually has a great string of wins. He's been booked actually really well when you look at the win-loss margin of since he's been the champion, whether it be uh, for titles, non-titles, or tag matches. Right. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I sh- maybe you know, and man, what a fantastic fresh matchup that would be if Shelton versus uh, Kofi. Uh, I, I kind of think right now where we're sitting, I think Kofi Kingston is, um, you know, I can see Kofi Kingston taking the title holding the title and then you know a, a Brock Lesnar or somebody like that taking it off of him right as we turn to Fox yeah I think I think that's uh, I think there's a very good chance of that as well and with Shelton Benjamin you know it's it's an it, I think it would be an interesting story here because I think that Shelton could see himself easily and I think Kofi shoes the guy that was overlooked for a long time wanting to break that glass ceiling you know I I think there's I think there's a, a I think there's a compelling I think there's a compelling story and I think the fans would enjoy seeing these two work together yeah, it would be fresh. I mean, and, 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 but certainly, you know, I think we do need to give a little depth to Shelton Benjamin. So I, you know, so if it's something like the explanation you just gave or, or whatever they're, you know, whatever they're trying to do here, if, if they, if they are indeed trying to do something, I mean, I, who knows with next week's SmackDown could come and go and we see nothing of Shelton Benjamin. And this is just becomes one of those random segments that goes into the abyss. Maybe so. he, maybe he joins Alistair Black next week in his little smoky room and they just become the rascals, you know, um, could be something like that. Maybe Shelton Benjamin's eyes are darting around because he forgot that he was the one that knocked on Alistair Black's door. Oh, that's and he just remembered. I don't know. So, sorry, man. Sorry, I thought this was my dressing room. My bad. <laughs> uh, sorry, talk- I was trying to trying to take a pee here. Uh, I guess I'll go to the next next stall down. Well, let's talk a bit about Extreme Rules here. Uh, we'll throw to the Alistair Black thing since we're, uh, since we're already talking about it. You know, he has come out. He's challenged the mystery man who knocked on his door to fight him Extreme Rules. There's the rumor out there that Cesaro could be that man. I, I, I find a hard I, – I don't know. It just – doesn't doesn't line up to me doesn't doesn't seem like a a a feud that's gonna grip me you know inherently they'll probably work real well together and make it some mean some over time but i don't know who who do you think is the man who who chat who knocked on on the door here i have three options okay seamus would be one of them because it seems like he's healthy and ready to get back into action so that would be uh a way to just bring him back in. It's random. Why did he, you know, why did he knock on the door? I mean, it's the whole knocking on the door thing is a little interesting, which I'll get to in a second. So Seamus is one option. Uh, Randy Orton's another one. I don't think Orton really has anything to do. And um, I think Orton's actually been working with Black at live events. So that would be, um, that would be an omen that they're, you know, obviously just feeling each other out before a televised match. And the third was you have this, you, you have Alistair Black's in there saying, you know, you know, who's knocking on my door, please somebody knock on my door. And then you have this mysterious, character and Bray Wyatt were waiting to show up who's screaming about let me in yeah uh now that would now that would be a very very that would be a huge gamble very exciting to watch but a huge gamble to you know you're basically kind of reset you know I'm you're basically kind of scratching off the the you know when 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 Black and Ricochet and all of them randomly got you know thrown into Lafayette Louisiana Raw and you know had like a random run as a tag team they're kind of like scrapping that and this is kind of like the reset the reinvent the re-debut so to speak of Aleister Black as a single star so that would be a bit of a gamble to start his singles TV run up against this what's what's had a huge investment in this re 
rebranded Bray Wyatt, it's kind of like, well, you know, you almost have to, you almost have to have some kind of just supernatural no contest. It almost has to just be, you know, you can't have a, a loser into the end of that. But those are the kind of three, the three, three, uh, three men I have as pegged as, as the options here. Those are all good. I, I also kind of thought maybe Ali, because he's been doing the 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 light gimmick, and Alistair Black is all dark and brooding right now. And uh, sure. you know, I think he could be somebody that would step up and accept a challenge like that. I mean, he needs a challenge right now. So. Sure. So that was another one, but the Seamus one I think is good. You know, I, I hope he comes back. I think he'll be. I think he'll be more liked this run than than previous runs. I think. He, I think there's a certain. I think the fans have warmed up to Seamus a little bit. You think so? Yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of in that. You know, I mean, he's almost forty. I think he's in that veteran. He's in that veteran point now, where it's like, you know, he, he, even Orton. I've put. You know, Orton, Orton had the same thing. You know, it's like where a guy is um, pushed so heavily he's over he's accomplished so much you know you know you know beats this guy becomes champion here does this does this does this and you know there's that revolt so to speak you know even if the guy's being pegged as a baby face you're still like that revolt that, that whole well you're trying to force him you know the, the roman reigns syndrome or, or once upon a time the john cena syndrome but as these guys get older it's almost like they've earned the respect you know and so i, I think sheamus is kind of at that point i mean i think him and cesaro had a pretty good run as, as a tag team there was a you know point in time where they were when they were booked as babyface tag team they they were pretty over so um you know he's been off tv for a while he's in great shape you know absence all, all, off, often makes the heart grow fonder with wrestling fans so i think uh, yeah i think sheamus could come back and um and, and have a nice you know babyface run as he's um as he, you know as he's you know tailing into what i, what I assume is the, the the back years of the of the the career well uh, also going into extreme rules we got a new stipulation here for the big tag match between the undertaker and roman reigns versus shane and drew mcintyre this match is now going to be no holds barred so you can use all the holds all the holds all of them are legal um now it, my favorite my favorite barred hold is the eye poke oh okay there there you go uh, and now, in a no holds barred match, can you use wep? You can use weapons and stuff in a no holds barred match, right? Yeah, you can. Well, first off, it's a it's a pay per view called Extreme Rules. Why would? Of course, it should be no holds barred slash no DQ slash whatever. I mean, and and it has and it's a match with Shane McMahon. If if if, if Shane McMahon can't have the the rules bent to where he can go use weapons and jump off of things, then there's no point of having a Shane McMahon match. So the, so so yes, this obviously should be a. No hold bar, no no holds barred slash no DQ. Is this now? Does this just give them more opportunities and ways to? I think you know in this match with Drew McIntyre pinning the Undertaker. You think that's what this was for? I absolutely think that's what this is for. With that report just came out about Taker handpicking Drew McIntyre as one of his next opponents. You got to heat this guy up. You got to make that SummerSlam match mean something, baby. Well, I'll say this: I don't see them pinning Roman Reigns, so I guess. So I guess, yeah, if Shane and Drew are going to win. That was, I mean, that would certainly, that would certainly ignite a. I mean, that would ignite a, a what a, a SummerSlam match of Drew and Taker. That'd be interesting. Yeah, and I think that's why they kept Taker strong at Super Showdown, so that he's walking into this thing. He can take a loss here; it wouldn't be two in a row. I absolutely think this ends with Drew McIntyre pinning the Undertaker. Obviously, using a whole lot of help of weapons or, or destruction. Yeah, Drew, Shane, Revival, Mean Street, Posse. Yeah, get Pete Gas back. Get the gas mask on the Undertaker. That was one of my favorite finishers when I was a kid. So, <laughs> remember the gas mask? Maybe, like- maybe, maybe, yes, yes sorry. Maybe they'll re- yeah, maybe they'll reenact uh, Rumble '94, where you know, yeah, it takes ten guys and they lock Taker into a casket. Oh, that's good. All the all of the things. No holds barred. All of the holds. All of the things. Uh, and lastly, here going into Extreme Rules, uh, Heavy Machinery. Uh, defeated Dolph Ziggler and Kevin Owens on SmackDown. They are now added to the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Title Match. Uh, they'll face Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan and the New Day. Um, they seem to be getting behind heavy machinery here. Um, I mean, this is a big win for them. 
is this time to to put the titles on them here for a little bit and get these guys uh give these guys a little bit of a chance to shine? I don't know if you have to put the titles on them at this upcoming show, but yeah, I like the fact that they're getting featured. I like you know it was a it was a lackluster main event. It was a lackluster match to be in the main event spot, but I for SmackDown. But I like that. I, I like that. I like that the whole point of the segment match was to elevate heavy machinery and have them earn their spot into this title match. That doesn't mean they get the titles right now. I do, I, I, you know, people, they did get the people behind them. If you go back and watch the end of SmackDown, the people were really behind them by the time they won that match. So that that's good for them. So, you know, maybe it's time for the titles, maybe, or maybe they can, maybe, uh, you know, the valuable babyface chasing, maybe they can stretch out a chase a little bit longer this summer before they uh, finally grab that brass ring. Yeah, you know, and that's the, the reason I thought, like, maybe they'll actually put the titles is because it was the main event. I was like, that's really surprising. I mean, on the show where you had Big E and Daniel Bryan that could have very easily closed the show, uh, they chose to put heavy machinery over here uh, to close it out. And I, that's, a, that's a pretty big nod, and I, I would think they'd want to follow that up with something meaningful. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. I that if, if it's in, if it's in the end of the match or at the end of the show, you'd think that means something. So yeah, I mean, it could happen for sure. I mean, I, like I said, I like heavy machinery. I think the people are getting behind them. Um, so we'll we'll see. But I don't think it's all. All right, we'll talk about tag teams here. Uh, PWInsider.com reporting the clubs: Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Well, of course, first of all, they are officially now Raw superstars. Now this is the latest superstar shakeup move, which let's see, April, May, June, July. We are now in the third month of the superstar shakeup still going. Uh, the decision was made uh, weeks ago, like well, months ago, uh, back during the shakeup, but it wasn't made official until Monday night raw. God knows why. Uh, there is no change at this time in their contract status. Uh, they are still expected to finish up here in September. What is up with this? Like if this is the same thing with Moxie, where these guys have given notice, no matter how many zeros you put on that check, we're going to go try our luck somewhere else. Now they're going to reform the club. To get AJ over here and give everyone what they wanted the entire time they were they were there? I don't get it, man. It's so bizarre to me. I don't think this is the same situation as Moxley. I think I don't think that they are I don't think Gallows and Anderson are as hell bent and and made their minds up of leaving. Um I think that look, both of them have kids and you know, they I think while as good of money as that they will make in Japan and and they'll be they'll be booked as top stars again in Japan. You know, I, I do think that from the personal standpoint, they're, they don't, they're not going to relocate their families back to Japan. And I don't think they want to be away necessarily from the families as long as they would have to be. Um, that's, and now, and now that you have AEW in the fold here, that's now another option here in the United States that would pay them well and treat them well. That again, wouldn't require them to be away from their families. They'd be, you know, lighter schedule as we're being told for AEW. So I think that, I think all the leverage right now is in their negotiating favor. I think that WWE is trying everything they can to keep them around. Hey, you want to be with your friends? We'll put, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put you back with your buddy. We'll, we'll, we'll book you guys as top stars. I think WWE's going to try to, I think, I think Gallows and Anderson are going to use this probably, you know, try to get some leverage. You know, that doesn't mean for sure that they're going to resign. But I think I think that's the situation. I don't think they've made up their mind like Moxley has. I don't think this is a, the same Bizarro situation how WWE was pushing the shield on 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 his way out. I think this is I think this is right now we're we're watching the negotiations unfold, and that's what I think this is at the moment. I just I don't know. I've heard for a while now they haven't been happy there, like real not happy there, and um, I don't know. I don't know if they go to a. I mean, I'm sure that you know they'll have talks. I don't know if they go to AEW. I mean, I know they loved their time in Japan. You know, I think there's still a lot they could do there. New Japan is really heating up right now. Very hot G1 coming up this summer. These guys could really capitalize off of that. Closing out the summer here uh, with with a big move over there. 
Um, I don't really see Ring of Honor as a place for them. But there's also just like the idea that, you know, they, you know, they're they're vets at this point. You know, they've made a lot of money. They've like you said, they got families. Take your money, go home, kick it for a year, enjoy your life a little bit, maybe, you know, do your they they do their podcast, which is something they, that they did. I'm sure would kill right now, these guys getting back into that. I, I don't think they're gonna take a year off. I think I think they're hungry to work because they haven't been getting to get into work. As much and in it with as importance on WWE, they've been you know they've been sitting on the sidelines working live events, working working stuff that doesn't matter. So I, I don't think you're going to see them take a year off. I think when, I think if they leave WWE, they're they're gearing up to go, you know, work somewhere else. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I I don't think they've I don't think they've signed anything, but I don't think they've made up their minds completely that they're that they're gone. I think I think I think they'll use the next. Uh, they'll probably use the, the time period between now and their deals being officially up to. So to, to see how WWE treats them and if it's worth uh, staying around. Man, Carl Anderson coming back to challenge uh, Jay White for the leadership of Bullet Club would just be so great. Be so great. Anyway, uh, Wrestling Observer uh, reporting that Maria Kanellis uh, following the soap opera on Monday night where she claimed to be pregnant, pregnant is apparently actually pregnant. Uh, both have signed, uh, her and Mike have signed five-year deals reportedly worth $500,000 a year. Do the math. That's $2.5 million. Yeah, I, maybe per person for the duo? I'm not really sure. Um, Pro, or PWInsider.com uh, reporting that Canellis informed WWE she was pregnant after they had signed their contracts. A lot of money. And then, uh, I don't know. I mean, how do you, I mean, if you're WWE, how do you, I don't know. It's weird. What, well, first of all, what did you think of the segment on Monday night? Uh, it had my attention, but I wasn't sure what I was watching. Okay. I mean, I think um, this was their way to the, not, now. I think it's their way to write Maria off and give Mike a little fire here, or something different, some complexity. Yeah, this is this is a spectacular story. And yeah, WWE, by the way, about seven minutes ago, their Twitter account just tweeted it is confirmed Maria and Mike are expecting a second child. There you go. Um, this is a spectacular <laughs> because I mean, first off, you know, congratulations to being pregnant, um, and congratulations to them. <laughs> for getting paid and, and for, you know, their, their children and family are being financially taken care of. Like the amount of money that they have earned in the couple years that they've been with WWE and like, you know, they've, they've been off, they've been off TV, whether it be of injury, whether it be because of, of, of previous pregnancies. Uh, I know Mike was getting clean at one point. I think that was while he was still under yes. WWE contract. It was. Um, it was. He, 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 like, I mean, they, he like credited the company for helping. Yeah, him get which clean. again, that, yeah. that's good. I'm not. I don't want this to get misinterpreted as as like it, it's it's. They've been given a lot of money, and they just and, and you know it's, and then we haven't seen much. I know that they were they're starting to build momentum on 205 Live. I know they were on 205 Live again uh, last night, but good for them. It, it, it's just it's just they've they've gotten a lot for not ultimately having done much and a part of them ultimately not having done much is on WWE creative and booking you know they've you know but but there's been a lot of other life personal happenings at it and i guess again good for them that they are getting paid i mean she's a talent she is a, you know not you know we don't need to see her wrestle but she is a really good talent mike's got talent and you're right this probably is something that i don't necessarily know if it even means writing her off right now i think that i think that you know, this is something to try to get some depth and meat out of her for the next few months before she truly does have to get off the road. But I think for the next couple of months, while she, if she's while she's still in whatever stage of the pregnancy, if she can, I think this is something to give some little some depth to them and whatever they're whatever they're trying to do here with her. You know, belittling Mike and this and that. Uh, also, I find it interesting too that on the first show that's supposed to have Paul Heyman's fingerprints all over it, that she is in such a prominent you know segment that we're talking about because Hard. Paul Heyman has come out and said how. Yeah. How yes, how, how much of a fan of her she is. So I thought that to me, I was like, 
I don't know if that's a coincidence that we're seeing her on this show in this role on the same night that Paul is, you know, supposedly starting to grab the steering wheel. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I also, I also uh, had that flash and I saw her, her cutting her promo. Now this would be something very different uh, for WWE because historically when women get pregnant, I don't think they've even like really been allowed near the ring. Wasn't it like, who was it at the top of the entrance ramp? It was like WrestleMania or something like that that came out pregnant. I'm trying to remember this wasn't, this was not only a couple years ago, maybe a year ago. Um, Oh, man, I'm trying to remember. But, I mean, I, they, historically, they haven't really been – they've been very careful about letting women with pregnancy around the ring. So, I mean, maybe you play it out backstage in vignettes. I mean, they kind of tease that he wasn't the father. Is that the direction maybe they go with this? Yeah, it's Tommy Dreamer maybe. I don't know. Um, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really see the harm – I don't really see the harm of allowing her to be around the ring. I mean, I understand that there's physicality going around and you don't want anything to happen, but I think, I don't know. I think, I think if you take the right, I mean, again, she, you know, what, what did she do out there? She was on the apron. She, she, she jumped down. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the policy is or what the, what the, what the right, what the right code is here of, of, of being careful and obviously what she's willing to do. But uh, I don't think she's going to disappear right away. I think this is something that we'll, we'll at least see her for, at least for a little short amount of time so they can get whatever they want out of this to propel Mike to whatever he's going to do. It was Maurice. She is the one okay. who, she, who came out pregnant like last year uh, at the top of the ramp. And I think she was like the first WWE woman to ever be on TV pregnant. I could be wrong, but I believe that is a fact. So very different. Um, uh, uh, May, May, Young, May Young was pregnant. Oh, you're right. How could I forget how big that hand has gotten? One of the greatest payoffs in all of WWE comedy history. Uh, Seth Rollins. Maybe Mark, Hen- Maybe Mark Henry's the father. Sure. Sexual chocolate. Mark Henry. That's the father here. I wouldn't be against <laughs> it. I wouldn't be against it. Uh, Seth Rollins has officially apologized to Will Ospreay on Twitter uh, for their back and forth and some of the stiffer comments he put he made towards Ospreay. Uh, here's what Rollins said. He said, after a few days to sit on it, I'd like to apologize to Will Ospreay for the tweet I sent his way about comparing bank accounts. It was dumb of me and not in line with my values. The moment I pressed the send button, I knew it was trash, but I'm too stubborn for my own good. I stand firm in my sentiments that WWE is the best pro wrestling on the planet and that I'm the best of the best doing it right now. After a hell of a week of travel, our crew didn't waver for a second. Top-level humans busting their asses for the love of the game. I couldn't be more proud to be a champion with this company and represent WWE and the entire industry in the way it deserves. No more garbage tweets. I can and will be better. To which Osprey responded, Honestly, nothing but respect for you, sir. Just a bit of banter in my mind. I followed your career since you were Tyler Black. I know it's not all about the money, and it's about the love. Keep flying your flag and having fun. How nice. I did my Casey Kasem there. Like I was reading reading fan, fan stuff. I caught that. Yeah. Uh, what, I mean, I'm glad this is done. These men are better than this, than some silly, stupid Twitter tweets getting in trouble. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, look, Seth Rollins is, is the champion. He, he's he's a, he's a top champion for for WWE. I mean, you know, you're you're supposed to hold yourself high. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I I didn't really think, I didn't really see the need for him to apologize. You know what I mean? I kind of figured they were just having. I figured they were Twitter beefing any like they were they were Twitter back and forth anyways, and they were probably texting each other just laughing about. It. Like I you know I didn't really take this serious in the first place. I know some fans are getting bent out of shape over, you know, Seth. And his tweets about, you know, this is still, you know, this is still where the best wrestling is. And it's like, what are you talking about? Of course you want, if, uh, what do you want him to say? Do you want him to say, oh yeah, you know, we, we really need to pick it up this AEW. Like, no, this is the guy who's carrying the flag. 
He's a locker room leader now. He's a world champion. He's one of the he's one of the he's one of the leaders of this company. You know, with the John Cena's of the world not around every day, and 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 so I mean, like this, Seth Rollins is one of the guys. And so, of course, it is his job to go out there and defend his company, defend his peers, and, and the hard work they're putting in. And of course, they're putting in hard work. That's that's never the issue. It's the creative has been the issue. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know. And then and then him, you know, him saying, you know, you know, when Osprey comes out and says, you know, I wrestled more matches in a year, and Seth fires back with, I made more money. That's what a champion and a top dog should say. Should 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 hold his own and hold his hold his company of value and hold himself as value. So I don't know. I this apparently got taken more seriously by certain people, and I guess maybe by Seth than I ever took it because I just figured this is just you know pro wrestling. You know, live your gimmick, live your you know hold hold just hold your value up because you are your own self. You know, self you're you're your own publicist uh, at all times. Well said. Our last story here goes out to Justin in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He writes. Are you looking for a head, Bob? Well, then you've got it. Here's a D'Lo Brown story. PWInsider.com reporting that D'Lo Brown has signed a full-time, multi-year deal with Impact Wrestling as a producer. Uh, his reviews as a talent-first producer was the reason for the hire uh, into the higher-up role. The four-time WWE European champion has been given rave reviews by members of the Impact roster. Uh, good fit. I've always been a D'Lo fan. Uh, obviously... Uh, there, there was the, the incident with draws that really, you know, drew him down for a period of time, but I know he's been back out on the Indies. I know he's working hard. Uh, always been a good dude by all accounts that I've heard. So happy to hear him uh, in the business in this way. And, and I think he'll be a great addition to impact wrestling. Was Dilo the one who was in the ring with draws when draws got paralyzed? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, good for Dilo. Good for Dilo. Maybe this is the start of a, of a whole another chapter of his career of, of, of working, you know, if it starts here, who knows where, where it elevates to, since we're seeing a lot of TNA impact people eventually wind up in WWE. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm just making sure. Uh, yeah. Oh, I think I'm trying to see here. Yeah. He had a, didn't want to, I don't want to get it wrong because you're right. If I got it wrong, then I'm going to be in trouble here, but no, it says, uh, he did professional wrestling career, but, 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 uh, draw career ending injury uh, during a match with D'Lo Brown during WWF SmackDown taping October 5th, 1999, uh, Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. Draws an interview states he was wearing a loose shirt during the match when bomb when Brown went for his signature running powerbomb. He was not able to gain a proper grip on him while Draws was unable to execute a proper jump to aid in the lifting of the power bomb. So it doesn't sound, I, I, I didn't think he held it against dealer or anything, but I, I've, I think I've read that dealer was obviously very affected by that for a long time. So that's why I say, I'm happy to see him in this position. I, I mean, by all accounts, very good dude. I guess at this time is a three time IWGP tag team champion. He'll face Will Ospreay on July 6th at new Japan pro wrestling's G1 climax show on access TV from Dallas, Texas. It is Lance Archer. Lance, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no problem. Well, uh, we'll start here with the, the G1 Climax. You are in the A block. How do you feel about your lot here? How do you feel about your division? Uh, you know, for me, I'm looking at the A block as a lot of revenge matches because, you know, this is this is actually my fifth G1 uh, that I've been a part of. I, I was part of four back when I first started with New Japan because I've been with New Japan since 2011. I just celebrated my eight years working with the company. Uh, but it's been five years since I was a part of the, the G1 Climax. And a lot of the guys in my block, uh, Tanahashi, Okada, uh, you know, even Will Ospreay, uh, a lot of these are, for me, revenge matches, guys that I've faced before, even Fale in the New Japan Cup. 
uh, where they've, they've bested me and, and got me once, oh, once over. But, you know, this is my chance to get my revenge on them in the G1 Climax and probably one of the most visible G1 Climaxes ever. Like you said, it's going to be live on Access TV uh, in the United States for anybody who wants to watch and experience exactly how cool and great the G1 Climax is. Yeah, it's got a real buzz around it this year. Obviously, great talents. You're in there. Some other big names have fallen into the mix. Uh, like like you said, you know you uh, you haven't been in the G one for five years. Obviously, you've been tagging with uh, Davy Boy Killer Elite Squad and Suzuki Gun. Um, before we get to the G one, how do how do you feel about Davy leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling? You know, pro wrestling is pro wrestling. It's one of those industries where things change on a dime. You know, I've been a, again. I, I'm coming up on celebrating 19 years in the wrestling business. So I've been lucky enough to be a part, like I said, of, with New Japan for eight years. Uh, you know, I worked with WWE for two. I was with TNA or now Impact Wrestling for five years. And a lot of times this business changes on a dime. You know, one, one day you're there, one day everything's great, and the next day you're gone and things have changed. And, you know, he's made some choices for himself and how he wants to see the future of his career. Um, you know, and for me, I'm just taking advantage of this opportunity, like I said, being a part of the G1. And, you know, I haven't been a singles wrestler in New Japan since I first arrived back in 2011. Yeah. You know, Smith and I are tag teams since 2012, Keller Elite Squad, like you said. So it's been a really long time since I've just been a singles wrestler and an opportunity for me to kind of show what I can do uh, in not a tag team situation. So like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to this opportunity. I'm looking forward to making people open their eyes and recognize exactly how good I am and what I do. Yeah, you know, and like you said, you've been with New Japan here for eight years. You know, uh, New Japan obviously in Japan, but the past couple of years, New Japan has been working to expand into the United States, uh, obviously going to be yep. here in Dallas. How do you feel New Japan's uh, United States expansion has gone so far? It, it's gone good, man. I, I think everything is a process. It's one of those things where the company is learning how to be more global. Uh, the, the, the company's history, it's been around for you know close to 50 years in Japan. Yeah. Um, has always been a big company there. It's had its good days and its bad days, you know, the ebbs and flows of professional wrestling. Um, but so this is a new venture, a new market. They're pushing out worldly into the U.S. market. Uh, you know, there's there's a crew of guys that are in Australia right now having a couple shows in Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah. Uh, they've got a huge event planned for the end of August in the U.K. Um, so the, the U.S. expansion is one of the biggest ones. You know, obviously the U.S. market with the other companies that exist here is probably one of the most prominent ones. You know, starting out in L.A., we did a small uh, live show tour uh, a few months ago, and that went well. You know, and so now they just did MSG back there in April. And now we're hitting Dallas, Texas at the American Airlines Center on July 6th. So it's expanding. It's growing. It's a learning experience for everyone involved, but I think it's going well, and it'll only get better. Well, uh, you mentioned the U.K., the United States. Let's bring them together here. You in the United States, the G1 taking on somebody from the U.K., Will Ospreay here, the first right. night of the G1. What are your expectations here for this match with Will? Uh, to, to hurt him in ways he's never been hurt before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, had, we had an amazing match in the New Japan Cup. It was one of those eye-opening moments for myself and I think for the wrestling world. You know, again, people have only seen me as a tag team wrestler. And, and when Will and I stepped out there and did what we did, a lot of people were like, oh, hey, that's a really different side of Lance Archer, the American Psycho. Um, so my, I'm looking at it as an opportunity just to continue to prove that to people. And, you know, um, the fact that it's in Dallas, Texas, my hometown, I mean, American Airlines is like 20 minutes from my house. Um, I'm expecting you to go out there and kill it. I, I believe we're the first actual G1 match on the card. 
Um, so it's going to be really exciting for me to kind of step out there and show my fans, my family, my friends uh, exactly what they've in a sense been missing because I've been over in Japan and now I'm getting to do it on a large scale basis right here in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. You know, Will is obviously very, very buzzy at the moment. You know, I can tell you just by, I can tell you just by looking at the analytics for our website, Will generated a lot of traffic (laughs) this week. You know, he's been going back and forth. He's been going back and forth with the WWE universal champion, Seth Rollins. I mean, what do you make of the back and forth these two have been having? Uh, I think that's the most interesting part about social media these days, you know, is the fact that you have such direct contact with anybody and everybody. You know, obviously they both have very strong opinions uh, about themselves and the companies they work with and, and the things that are going around. And the fans love stuff like this, especially kind of that interpromotional uh, banter going back and forth between him and Seth and what's going on. And, you know, I, I respect both of them. I think, like I said, I personally think Will is one of the best in the world, and I just look at it as an opportunity to prove I'm one of the best in the world when I step in the ring with him in Dallas. So, but I think it's kind of cool just for the wrestling fans. You know, I don't think you've had this kind of war. I don't know if there's another a better word for it than since the WCW WWF days when you had Nitro and Raw and all that stuff back then. Um, and now you have the internet and, and social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to use at that time to kind of create that that banter, that war, that fights between companies without it actually going cross-promotion in the ring, which for the wrestling fans, they're always fantasy booking and they're always you know, going, what if Will Ospreay faced Seth Rollins and so on and so forth. So this is kind of a glimpse into that possibility and creating a story without it actually happening. So I think it's fun for the fans. I think it's fun for the wrestling world. I think it creates a lot of attention, not only for uh, Will and Seth and, and the companies they work with, but everybody that's involved in the business. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, with so much attention on Will right now, you know, uh, huh. so you guys are going to be in the first match, like you said, on the G1. I mean, that's, that feels like a lot of pressure to me right now, like with a lot of eyeballs going to be on this bout. Are you feeling any pressure here going into this, especially, you know, again, starting to shine as a single star out of the tag division? Uh, again, I've been in this business for 19 years. I'm excited. There's not pressure in a bad way, like I'm worried about it or anything like that. There's pressure in a good way. I'm excited to kind of, again, I've been trying to prove myself time and time and time and time again in this business and at a high level for most of my career. So I just see this as another opportunity to step in the ring with somebody, like you said, that has a lot of buzz right now. He's young. He's athletic. He's amazing in what he does in the ring. Um, and so I just see this as another opportunity to prove myself to the wrestling world. And like I said, if he's that guy that's got a lot of buzz over here, I think a lot of people are going to be watching him. So that means they're going to be watching me, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about interpromotional stuff. You know, New Japan has been working with Ring of Honor here the past couple of years. I mean, right. how, do, how do you feel about the New Japan-Ring of Honor relationship? I think it's great. I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, especially in the beginning with New Japan expanding into the States, they needed – uh, uh, that kind of segue. They needed a company to work with, and Ring of Honor has been great with them. Um, I think it provides opportunities for wrestlers to have more work on both sides of the pond, whether you're in the U.S. or whether you're in Japan. You know, Jeff Cobb is in the G1 Climax and the B Block, and yeah. he's, he's with Ring of Honor right now. So there's opportunity for guys from Ring of Honor to come over and do that. G.O.D. are the, the ROH Tag Team Champions right now. So you've got some interpromotional stuff that's going on. It gives opportunity, I think, for guys to be seen on different levels at different places at different times all throughout their careers and times in this business. I think it's great for Ring of Honor. I think it's great for New Japan. I think it's great for the wrestling fans. 
Yeah, you know, one Ring of Honor star I wanted to ask you about that's just so intriguing to me is, you know, what do you think of uh, the reemergence of PCO? How do you think that the Japanese fans would, <laughs> would take to PCO if he were to be brought over to New Japan? Who knows, man? I mean, the, the crazy thing, and you have, to, you have to respect what he's done for a guy that's been in the business this long and, in a sense, kind of came out of nowhere again. You know, like I said, he's, I don't even know if he was wrestling prior to kind of recreating himself as this PCO gimmick and character and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I, I got a chance last summer to wrestle in, uh, uh, in Dallas, Texas in 105 heat on an outdoor show. So that was interesting to say the least. Um, but it's cool to see that he's been able to take himself, recreate himself and ingra- ingratiate himself to 2019 wrestling fans and his willingness to do some insane, crazy stuff. I think kind of, draws in respect from people who are going, man, I can't even believe he's even willing to do things that he's doing and whatnot. So, and (laughs) on a side note, outside the ring, super cool cat. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you talk about guys recreating themselves, you know, you know, we were talking about the G1. I was bringing up earlier, some big names that have brought some attention. Obviously a guy who's recreated himself, John Moxley. He came in like a house of fire here, quickly won the IWGP U S championship. How do you feel about Moxley being in the G1 and uh, capturing that title so quickly? You know, it's one of those things, man. Uh, he's got the hype going, you know, in this business. It's the entertainment business, and it's all about the hype. Um, and he's definitely got that, you know, coming off. It was very, very well known that he was leaving the other company. And, uh, you know, so people were interested to see what was going to happen as soon as that was over. And, like I said, he made an immediate impact when he showed up at the AEW event. And then, obviously, right after that, he was announced he was going to be uh, working the Dominion show for New Japan in, yeah. in a title match against Juice Robinson. And then going on and actually capturing that title and becoming the U.S. champion right off the heels of everything he's done. So, you know, this, this industry is entertainment. It's, it's all about who's got the hype. You're talking about... Uh, Will Ospreay and the buzz that he's got going on right now. That's the same with Moxley, and he's capitalizing on that. The business is capitalizing on that. Um, so, you know, I hope I get a chance to step in the ring with him and kick his teeth out, too. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Moxley, obviously, like you said, made that splash in AEW. Uh, you know, all the uh-huh. guys that founded that, the Elite Crew, those were New Japan guys. They were Bullet Club. You know, they left uh-huh. to start their own uh-huh. promotion. How, how do you feel about uh, what they're doing with AEW? I think it's great for the business as a whole. I mean, I think it just creates more opportunity for all the wrestlers. There's so many amazing wrestlers. The internet has changed the game in a way that I think it's kind of recreated. People talk about the old school territory days. Well, I think there's a whole new era of territory days in a sense with the internet and and the doors it opens visually for people around the world, because now the production value, you know, there's a company out of Texas, the heel face guys that uh, do Twitch programming and whatnot. And their production value is extremely high. And they go into places like Russell circus, which is a company I wrestle with out of Austin, Texas and has some amazing shows. And they, they, what they produce for the people to be able to see I think it's helping change the game. So what they're doing with AEW is creating uh, more eyes and more opportunities and more chances for the business to grow. And I think for the fans, it's one of the greatest times in the business because you have so many amazing choices. New Japan Pro Wrestling, the second largest company in the world, kicking ass and taking names all across the world. Um, And you have a chance to watch this live on Access TV for this U1 Climax. Or if you're a subscriber to New Japan World, you can watch all these events. You know, and Access TV is now moving to Saturday's primetime. And a lot of my matches, because I'm in the A block, are going to be aired, you know, same day, primetime, Saturdays, uh, you know, 
almost the exact same moment that the matches happen. Um, so the the fact that people having more opportunity to watch wrestling from all over the world in different aspects, I think what has happened with AEW, and depending on what it does as it moves forward, I just think it makes competition for the business, and it makes the business better, so the fans are going to have a lot more fun. So I hope they're supporting all aspects, New Japan, ROH, AEW, uh, WWE, all the companies that are out there. If the wrestling fans keep supporting it, it'll keep growing and keep getting better. Well, you know, and the U.S. champ, you know, Moxley, he's not going to be on the Dallas show there, uh, it sounds like, because no. he is with AEW. Um, do you, would right. you like there to be a relationship there between New Japan and AEW? I think it would be good for the business, but you don't know. Like I said, right now, New Japan's relationship with it is, is ROH, and yeah. so that's our focus as a company. Um, obviously, Moxley you know, is working with us. Jericho just worked with us as well, and they're both AEW guys. Um, so you never know what the future's going to hold as far as those cross-promotional situations goes, and I think it would only benefit everybody if and when that situation happens. But like I said, right now, New Japan's uh, relationship with is ROH, and, and that's the focus and the, and the direction we're going. Well, uh, you know, with all the talk about how buzzy the internet or the pro wrestling business is right now, you know, WWE's got Vince, they're a billionaire. AEW has the cons, they're billionaires. New Japan and Access right. TV, they have a billionaire too. Mark Cuban, have you ever? Yeah, he, he's kind of been around. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of been around. He's done some things, Shark Tank, something like that. Um, have you ever had a ch- <laughs> Have you ever had a chance to talk pro wrestling with Mark Cuban or anything like that? I haven't, man. I, I know he's a big pro wrestling fan. He's a big component of the whole reason that we're on Access TV. He's a big reason that we're even in the American Airlines Center for July sixth. Um, I haven't ever had a chance to kind of sit down and talk with him. I think it'd be a lot of fun, considering he is a pro wrestling fan. Um, but no, I've never had that opportunity. You know, obviously he's kind of a busy guy. He's got a couple things going on, you know, that little basketball team that plays over there, sure. and, you, know, you know, like you said, access TV and stuff of that nature. <laughs> well, you're going to be in Dallas. I would imagine he might be in Dallas. Maybe you can have that chance to sit down, share a bottle of water, throw it in his face, something like that. I don't know. You know, just throwing things I, out there. I, I, I hope that he is there and, you know, it'll be a privilege for him to talk to me. That's how I look at it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, you did, like you brought up earlier, you spent some time at WWE. You know, Moxley here, he mm-hmm. just did that Jericho interview that, you know, exploded the internet. Did anything he say in that surprise mm-hmm. you or resonate with you? I didn't listen to it, so I don't know exactly what he said. I mean, my time my time with the company was not what his was. You know, he had a much more successful time with that company. Um, mine was not that. Uh, and mine was back in 2009, 2010 era. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was a very different company at that time. You know, there, Linda McMahon was trying to get into the Senate, and the company was very mindful of every single thing that happened in and on TV. Like, uh, one example, they, they wouldn't allow even a drop of blood to air on TV or anything. And if anything happened like that, every single thing would stop, and they would have medical staff come in and make sure you're okay. And like I said, most of the time, I mean, we're, we're, we're being very physical with each other. So, you know busting the nose, popping a lip, you know, get the boxers cut on the eyebrow is very possible at any given moment, you know, and back then, like, there was times when I had matches, and they would just legitimately stop everything in its tracks because, uh, you know, a trickle of blood came off of somebody's forehead accidentally, um, you know, so it was a very hard company to work with back then, you know, I think it's opened up, and like I said, the competition between, from, from New Japan, uh, to ROH, to the independents that are growing very visible. I think all that has changed how WWE runs their their business. Again, I don't know 
what Moxley went through when he was there because we kind of crossed paths. I was out of there when he showed up and, and started making his name there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so this will be, this will be our first time, I think on any kind of real touring situation where we're working together, even though he's in a different block. Right. Um, I know we've throughout our career had different moments where we've passed each other. You know, I was with uh, TNA for five years and I know he came around there a few times, but I never worked with the company extensively. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a very different time when I was there in 2009 to what he was. So I don't know exactly what he went through. Well, a lot of what he talked about was obviously being frustrated with WWE creative. Uh, I'd like to ask you a bit about right. like, you know, what's it like working with Gato? Do you feel, do you feel heard? What is the creative process like for new Japan pro wrestling? I think it's a great one. I, I think, you know, obviously he's taking on more and more and more responsibility as the company's grown. Like when I started with New Japan in 2011, I think there were like a total of five or six Gaijin foreigners on the on the, the roster. Uh, Giant Bernard, who, who went back to WWE as Lord Tenzai. You know, uh, Carl Anderson, who's now in WWE. Um, uh, Fergal Devitt, who's Finn Balor in WWE. Uh, these guys were all there and on the main roster working. And then you had like Tama Tonga and Fale, who were both young boys at the time. Yeah. Um, and that was it, you know. And then, like I said, and Bernard went back to WWE about right after my first year with the company. So there weren't a whole lot of us. And, and the way things have changed, you know, with the amount of foreigners that are part of the company, including uh, all the Japanese talent from the past and present and the possible future, because their young line system is producing some of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, so those kids are coming up on the heels of everybody, you know, as things go along. So his creative process, I think, is just getting deeper and deeper and harder and harder. But he's always, for me, he's been very uh, easily accessible. And, and, you know, he listens to ideas. And, you know, if, if I've got a good idea, he likes it and he goes with it and he helps me uh, produce it and make it better. And if he doesn't, he's, he easily says, OK, no, I don't think that will work. And, you know, it's one of those things that open communication helps me and helps me respect him and the company as a whole because I would much rather somebody tell me no Lance you can't do that or no Lance that's a dumb idea than just not say anything at all and unfortunately in wrestling and maybe part of the frustration that uh Mox had when he was there is you know a lot of times you just don't get answers you know you ask a question and then nobody gives you an answer and that's probably one of the most frustrating things in the world and Gato's always been real good even if it's just a simple nope that's more that's that's something that's better than nothing and i appreciate that big time all right well wrap it up here lance you know obviously i know you want to win the g1 that's a given yeah you know now now that you're you know again out there as a single star you know what goals do you have in new japan pro wrestling uh going forward beyond just winning the g1 you know I, i think this is prime opportunity like i said we have a u.s title now uh, the Intercontinental title just debuted, like, right as I was. My debut with New Japan uh, in Philadelphia back in 2011 was the first night of the, the finals uh, for that Intercontinental title that uh, MVP carried. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, I think, singles opportunities. Obviously, we have the Never title as well. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for me as a singles wrestler to gain IWGP gold and, and show the world, you know, exactly who I am and what I can do as far as the American Psycho Lance Archer is concerned. Um, and then obviously I have eyes on that IWGP heavyweight title that Okada carries and winning the G1 is a direct line to that. So my goal, like you said, is to win the G1 so that I can go on and headline one of the Wrestle Kingdoms because we've got two this year with the January 4th and 5th in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, whereas in the past, it was just the one night. This year, we have two nights. So one of those nights needs to be my night, the American Psycho winning the IWGP heavyweight title. Yeah, I wish WWE would take that note. WrestleMania could use two nights, just saying. Uh, 
Lance. You were wonderful. I really as long enjoyed. as it is, it almost turns into two nights. Well, you know, that's the thing. It's like New Japan, always just ahead of the curve. I think you guys got it right with this one. <laughs> uh, Lance, you're wonderful. Thank you very much for the time. Do you want to let everybody know where they can find you, follow you, support you online, all those great things? Yeah, absolutely. You know, check me out on Twitter at Lance Hoyt. Um, Instagram is Lance underscore Hoyt. Facebook is Lance Hoyt. Everything's under my real name. Like I said, shoot me a message. You say something cool, I'll answer you back. Say something dumb, I won't say anything to you. Hello, Scott. Hi, how you doing? Good talking to you today. Have I spoken to you before? Actually not, so this is great. Yeah, I've been wanting to speak with you over the years, so this is great. That I think we follow each other on Twitter. Yes. That's definitely it. Oh, okay. All right. So um, let's start. So basically what's, what's amazing to me, though, is when you look back uh, at your history in broadcasting and your pro wrestling career, you're talking about over 25 years ago when you, you're starting out in the wrestling broadcasting, but you're kind of seeing like a resurgence where, you know, you've never been more popular. You've, you know, people are really appreciating your work. I'm just curious, just what is it like for you to kind of have that fulfillment after all these years? Well, my fulfillment, Scott, comes from the fact that uh, the wrestling that I get to call is becoming more popular and that the guys are, the wrestlers are making more money and uh, achieving fame that they haven't before. And that's, and I'm just one part of it. A big part of it is television and having, you know, the matches broadcast on both Access TV and on New Japan World is a big part of that. Without without that, I wouldn't have a job, and the guys wouldn't be nearly as popular as they are. Um, I, you know, in the words of The Rock, I certainly know my role. And I, I love having the ability to be able to call these matches for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, you know, it's a dream come true. And... It, it really just speaks to me as when I was, you know, a fan growing up, this was the type of wrestling that I always wanted to call. I wanted to be Gordon Soley. And I grew up in the year of, you know, just after uh, Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe. And those were a series of matches that they had in the early to mid-70s. When I started, um, you know, really following wrestling, it was in the late 70s, and Dusty Rhodes was rising to prominence. And Mike Graham and Steve Kern and, you know, superstar Billy Graham was taking over for Bruno and then transitioning to Bob Backlund. And, the, you know, the champions changed, eventually settling to Ric Flair and that type of thing. But those were the types of matches that I always wanted to call. And that's what I get to do with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So it's, it, it, uh, it's a dream come true for me. And as New Japan continues to, to make its way to the United States, um, for those who aren't like familiar with the product, the product and just the history of the G1, what does it mean to have the first night of this you know, historic tournament on U.S. soil and in Dallas? I'm sure there was a lot of planning, a lot of contemplation even maybe for this to actually take place. So just talk about the magnitude of this event happening, you know, the first night, the opening night um, of this happening on U.S. soil. Well, let's think about it in terms of, you know, on the on the final day of the weekend where the United States of America celebrates its independence, one of the most patriotic holidays, a Japanese wrestling company will bring their perennial tournament 
to America for the first time ever in Dallas, which was the home of one of the greatest wrestling territories ever with the Von Erich family. So, you know, it just, it checks all the boxes for me. And it can't be uh, understated as to how important this is. Let's think about this for a second. All the rumors that you hear about, you know, Japanese culture and Japanese business, they're all true. When it comes to being slow to decide, they're not quick to act. They're, they don't fly by the seat of their pants. They, they take a long time to contemplate an issue and will not move forward until they have all the information, until they've molded over, and even then they'll take a long, long time to make a decision. So when you say, I bet there was a lot of planning involved, I would imagine that there was a, much more than either of us can imagine. Uh, but it, it speaks to how important the G1 Climax is and what it means for American fans that they actually went ahead and did it and brought the G1 Climax tournament to the United States of America in Dallas, Texas on July the 6th. It's exactly what fans have been dreaming of with getting to see. And that's how many fans now do you know, do you hear, oh, I'm, I'm making my plans to go to the Tokyo Dome. I can't wait to see Wrestle Kingdom. I can't wait to see the G1 Finals in Budokan. We're bringing it to America. We're kicking off the tournament. And we're taking one of the dates that would normally be an automatic sellout for New Japan Pro Wrestling in Japan. And we are giving it to the fans in Dallas the first night of the tournament. And we're giving them Tanahashi versus Okada. So it has everything a wrestling fan could want, uh, and I think that the significance of this event cannot be understated. And uh, when you look at the field right now, um, you have you mentioned you know uh, the international flavor, a melting pot. You know the United States melting pot. This is kind of very indicative of that. Um, when it comes to New Japan, um, do you feel like the perspective, uh, the approach, I'd say, of having foreigners uh, come in to the United, come into the Japan and be, become steady and mainstays. I mean, this is over decades that this has taken place, but it seems like right now more than ever, they're, they're more welcoming and you're seeing this resurgence because how successful they are. Is that kind of something that you've seen this trend kind of taking place over I the past? I think we're, we're really, yeah, we're really seeing a, a change, a, uh, a shift, if you will, but it's a recognizing, it's a recognizing, that the best talent in the world is not just in Japan. The G1 Climax Tournament, at nowhere in its description does it say, we will take the best Japanese wrestlers and we will compete the tournament to determine who will wrestle the IWGP Heavyweight Champion in Wrestle Kingdom. It just says 20 of the best wrestlers in the world will be in this tournament. So when you look at you know Carl Anderson in 2012 was the first foreigner to make it to the finals. When you look at Kenny Omega, 20-whatever year he was, 17, was the fi first foreigner to win the G1 Climax. Or the, Carl was the last one to do it in 2012, and, and then uh, Kenny was the first one to win it. I think now what we're looking at is the – and you can't, just, you can't just play your way in based upon your resume and what you've done in the past especially for, uh, for homegrown stars. You look at Togi Makabe and Yoshihashi and those guys, for me, last year, didn't do enough to earn their way into this year's tournament. And 
you know, these guys are not on scholarship. So, you know, there needed to be some change, I felt, and uh, they did. And they made, some, they made some changes. The controversial one is Minoru Suzuki, but I kind of get it. You know, uh, they want a younger tournament, and they want the, the most physical action they possibly can get. And they brought in new stars, and, you know, we're going to have a more global flavor to this than ever before. Because even when you look at it like Kenta, Kenta, you know, fans, there, there may be more fans that know him in the United States from his WWE run than they did from watching him in Pro Wrestling Noah for all those years, even though his best work was in Noah. So I think that there will be more, more eyes. And, of course, John Moxley, I think, at the top of the list is going to add significant amounts of buzz and viewership and all those different things to each and every night of the tournament. But, it, you know, it begins uh, on July the 6th in Dallas on Access TV Live with Tanahashi versus Okada, which is the greatest rivalry that we have seen in this generation. And, uh, you know, one of the other con- competitors mentioned, uh, not mentioned, is uh, Will Ospreay, um, who's been getting a lot of uh, talk on social media right now about the best pro wrestling on the planet. What do you men- make of this kind of social media back and forth between him and Seth Rollins and kind of the two companies kind of standing up for one another, kind of this competitive environment since you've been in both? Well, I think it's great. I really do. Uh, I wish there was a way we could take the two of them and put it in the ring and settle it. But, uh, you know, I have a feeling that uh, Seth's boss might not think too highly of that idea. But I do know that both guys are very, very similar, not just in how physically gifted they are, how talented they are as pro wrestlers, but also they're two just great stand-up guys. They are guys that you would have in your own home for dinner and that you would feel comfortable uh you know, having them sit with your family. They are are true ambassadors of the companies that they represent. And if they were both employed, if Seth worked for New Japan and Will was in WWE, they would be having the exact same argument, the same debate, because that's who those guys are. They're both very proud of themselves, their talents and their abilities, but they're also proud of who they work for. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other hot topics was New Japan. Um, I raised some eyebrows with the, the uh, Ibushi-Naito match, and there's talk of the physicality and how far is too far and the line being crossed. Do you, is New Japan, do you feel, kind of taking a look at this feedback and kind of maybe changing some ways in the ring and maybe the, the, the match types and the physicality? Um, do, you think, do you see this having any impact um, moving forward, just the kind of stands just – some fans are like watching it and they're like, wow, this is kind of going a little too far, even for these guys. Well, that's a double-edged sword. Think about it like this. The surest way to protect Naito and Ibushi is to not book them to wrestle each other. Because for whatever reason, they love doing that type of match to each other. They love having the one-upsmanship and the crowd with their hearts in their throats and everybody, like, you know, fearing that the next move is going to end one of their careers. For whatever reason, they just love to have that type of match with each other, different than any other, you know, pairing or rivalry. So the truest way is to just not have them compete against one another. Does that deny the fans to a certain extent? Yes. Um, 
then then where do you draw that line? And, oh, well, this is dangerous. Well, that's dangerous. It's all dangerous. It's pro wrestling. And there isn't anybody who can say that the risks involved in a Will Ospreay versus Shingo match will be different than the risks involved with Will Ospreay versus Lance Archer in the first G1 meeting in Dallas on July the 6th. They are physical, intense, competitive athletes who are physically gifted and who are able to do things that guys like you, me, and everybody else could only dream of. So I think, I think where promotions can run into problems is saying, well, we're going to officiate, we're going to legislate what can and should be done in the ring. Because then you wind up with a scenario where, well, where do you draw the line? And then you wind up cutting it all out because it's pro wrestling. Uh, and I think that the, the, the easiest way is to just make sure that Ibushi and Naito are on opposite sides of the block and, you know, not have them compete for titles that they want to wrestle for anymore. But I have a feeling this won't be the last time they meet. They could meet the finals of the G1. Right. And uh, just last question, uh, heading into this, this big event. There's a lot of excitement in pro wrestling in general um, with all elite wrestling coming about. Um, you have Moxley in, in this, rep, you know, being a part of that company. Um, what kind of impact do you think this will have on New Japan as it kind of continues to try to expand? And now you have another competitor in the marketplace that they kind of have to compete with. Um, do you see a partnership of the two moving forward, or do you see them staying loyal to Ring of Honor? Well, I do think that uh, more wrestling is a good thing. And I think that where uh, if athletes are able to, let's think about this for a second. If there is another company on a national scale that is able to hire uh, somewhere between a roster of, let's say, between 50 and 100, okay, because that's generally what it takes to roll out a full-time promotion, um, that that means that's that many more wrestlers that are earning full-time livings as pro wrestlers, they're able to train, they're able to take care of their bodies, they're able to do what they have to do uh, in order to be to compete at a high level and be successful. That means 50 to 100 guys underneath them on the independent circuit will now get higher spots and be able to make more money uh, and will be able to be viewed as the next guys who companies like AEW, WWE, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, any company, would be like, okay, well, now we can see them in that spot. So I look at it like from how having another national player helps the industry as a whole. I think that's the best thing. And it's not a matter of competition. Think about it in terms of the viewership of the at the end of the Attitude Era. Seven million fewer people watching wrestling on Monday nights than were back then. Where did those people go? Were they taken up in the rapture? I don't think so. They're still out there. They just found other stuff to do. So maybe some of those will come back. And if you're typing and if you go to Google, which wasn't around during the Attitude Era, and you want to search when wrestling is on, and if you see, oh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is on access on Saturday night starting July the 6th, and every night through the G1 tournament, it's going to be on Saturday nights. What is this? Oh, I've seen this. I've seen clips of this. Oh, I love these guys. I'll have to check that out. So when 
one company is really starting to drive the ball and get people talking again and get them motivated, uh, I think it's good for the industry as a whole. And if it wakes up WWE from whatever slumber they're in, creatively or whatever-wise, they're certainly not hurting for money. They're just in a little bit of a, a lull right now creatively. It's going to be great for everybody. So the more the merrier, as long as it's good competition. Uh, you know, if you're if you're talking about a bunch of garbage, uh, you know, if you're going to put garbage deathmatch wrestling on television, which would never happen, then ooh, no, it would it'll turn people away. But if AEW decides that they want to have, you know, serious matches and great wrestling action, uh, uh, and put that on television in a competitive, fun atmosphere, that's going to bring more people to the table and not have them be repelled like they were during the mid 2000s WWE where you had to watch raw through a peephole. Um, then I think it's going to be good. It'll be good for everybody. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Actually, before I let you go real quick, who, who do you want to see win this this year in your, from the wrestling fan perspective and you, well, okay, so that's two different things. I don't think there's a <laughs> wrong, there's not a wrong way to go. Right. But if, if when all is said and done, if Tomohiro Ishii wins the G1 Climax Tournament, that'd be pretty special. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, um, all right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Definitely looking forward to it. My pleasure. All right. Have a good day, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate you. Thank you, Justin, for joining me uh, at the top of the show. Thank you to Lance Archer. Thank you to Kevin Kelly. Uh, and thank you to Scott Fishman for getting the interview with Kevin Kelly. Again, New Japan Pro Wrestling, their G1 show from Dallas goes down this Saturday night. It is free. You just got to turn on Access TV. Go find yourself Access TV. Turn it on. Watch How cool is that, by the way, that Access TV? Have you noticed that they're they're really pushing their, their wrestling product uh, a lot harder um, uh, as of late? Um, they... Uh, They've got a more recent New Japan matches, and I heard a, I heard the rumor. I saw the rumor on Twitter flare up and everything uh, that uh, you know maybe Impact Wrestling looking for a new home. Maybe they could wind up on on Access TV. I reached out to both Access and Impact. Didn't hear from Impact. Did hear from Access. They said we don't comment on rumors. I said okay. So there's where we're at with that. So maybe those damned those damn dirty rumors. They didn't they didn't say no though, Justin. They didn't say no. What would you think of that? Impact Wrestling joins uh joins New Japan Pro Wrestling over on Access TV. Yeah, I mean right now anything's possible in the wrestling world. And yeah, and I wouldn't and I'm I'm not surprised that they're promoting their wrestling content more. I mean you got you turn on TNT, you got TNT promoting, uh you know you got TNT promoting you know AEW content and and such, and then you got uh you know you turn on Fox, you got Fox promoting WWE content coming. I mean yes, yeah, so, I mean it's it's Right now, wrestling is is not does not look like the um, the, the 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 redheaded stepchild for the for the rednecks and and and, and degenerates. This right now, this looks very high dollar mainstream uh, entertainment. Well, I will say, if, if it does happen, I think it would be very good for both parties. So, uh, wait and see. Uh, again, big weekend. We also have the MLW show on Saturday, Impact Slam anniversary this Sunday, and tomorrow is the Fourth of July. We are doing a Fourth of July special featuring none other than the Patriot. Del Wilkes, he is going to be here tomorrow on the Winkley. Tune in. It's a 45-minute conversation. We talk about how the Patriot celebrates the 4th of July. We talk about his career. We talk about the current state of pro wrestling. You're going to love it. So while you're getting ready for the friends and family and stuff to come over, while you're setting up your fireworks displays and grilling your brats, 
go listen, put this on in the background. You're really going to enjoy it. And you can find it over at Wrestling Inc. Audio over on iTunes. Five-star ratings, nice comments, always appreciated. Share it with a friend. Tell a friend. That's also a nice thing. Tweet about it. Uh, and, of course, you got to download the Ringside Wrestling app because this Friday we're coming back at you with a brand-new episode of Winkly TV. Me and Raj Geary back uh, every Friday, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Ringside Wrestling app. We're going to be uh, talking, I think, the top three stories of the week because we're going to need to save a little extra time because we're going to be releasing the full 30-minute uh, post-AEW Fighter Fest scrum with Tony Khan as part of that episode as well. So if you haven't caught it yet, that's a good chance to catch it as well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's that's all I got here as far as plugging and promoting goes. Justin, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap it up? I want to put over, make sure when you go to light the fireworks, the firework is not pointing towards you. Wonderful. Good. Good, good. And if you're not wearing shoes, don't try to stamp out sparklers. It's a good way to burn your foot. Not that I've done that. That'd be a stupid thing to do. Only a dumb person would do that. So there you go. Uh, and uh, I, uh, you don't want to plug your Twitter account? You want to tell people to follow you? I hope people know by now. But for anybody who hasn't done it, please go hit follow on at Justin Labar. Tweet me and say hi. Perhaps I'll like it or tweet back. Wonderful. I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a happy 4th of July. Stay safe out there, everybody. And remember... If you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs>